This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Rebuttal. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Friday, January 7th, the end of the first week of the year 2022 is rebuttal. I don't know if we had to wait to see that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have to respond to Antonio Brown and his accusations that ranged from he gave me painkillers to they wouldn't let me see the right doctor to they told me to play when I was hurt to They triggered me all of those legal arguments that Antonio Brown was giving all to get money. The only reason you make legal arguments is so you can get paid. Antonio Brown wants to get paid the balance of his salary. He actually wants to get paid those incentives that he didn't hit. Rumors have come out since, little leaks. Where do those come from? The team has put out little things, various social media through various reporters that he was angry during halftime of the game, that he wasn't getting enough touches, that this was bubbling over, that he never said anything about being hurt. All of that, all of those leaks don't matter. The response, the rebuttal comes in the form of a statement. So the Buccaneers put together a statement. The way you do that, as you know, is you get the lawyer and you get your PR person. You have the president massage it, you show it to the GM, you show it to the owner, you show it to the NFL, make sure Roger's aware of it, and then you release it. That's why whenever we want to get a statement quickly from a team, it takes a beat because it has to go through the checklists for people to see it, which is amazing that when some of these statements come out, they're still so bad after so many sets of eyes have looked at them. But That's why one of the great reasons we have a show. So the Buccaneers did a very short statement, and they called it Titling Matters. Can we detour a little bit, Coke, on titling a statement? The Buccaneers said, Buccaneers statement on the release of Antonio Brown. So when you write a statement, there's the title of the statement, there's the body of the statement. And in a newspaper, the reporters write the article, and then there's a separate editorial staff, a separate staff who actually puts the title of the article uh, into the paper or online. So titles are always done in a way to get you to click the article, to get you to read the article, and to give you a message if you are not going to do it. 
because their view is that everyone in the media, everyone on social media, everyone in the print media, so both people in the media and people who are normal people like you and I just reading things, you'll read the title to something and very often not read the whole body. A general rule of thumb is that when you've got a long release, let's say you're releasing the name of your football team and you want to put in why you came up with that name, what the name signifies. Remember when the Cleveland Guardians released the name and they went through a whole rigmarole? So when you do a long statement, you can rest assured that people are not reading that full statement, but they are going to look at the title and say, oh, the new name of the Cleveland team is the Cleveland Guardians. All right, I know what I need to know. When you do a short statement, you're doing that because you want to make it more probable that more people will read the full statement and that more papers and more articles will put the full statement, not just recapping it, but put the actual full statement in the body of the article or in the body of the tweet. And that the likelihood of being read increases. When you are in a legal situation where you've got a player, not that you have a disagreement with over playing time or a disagreement with over having traded that player and the player's angry or a disagreement over a contract situation, whatever that case may be, where there's not real money involved, it doesn't much matter whether people read the statement or not. When you've got a situation like the Buccaneers have with Antonio Brown, where the integrity of your franchise is being impugned, where there are millions of dollars at stake, you've got to make sure that the messaging is right, the messaging is disseminated, and that lawyers, judges, potential jury members, commissioners, arbitrators, agents, players, teammates, everybody sees it, reads it, feels it, learns it. The title, when you are doing a short statement, is far less important than when you are doing a long statement. Because as I said, on the long statement, it's likely not going to be read. Short statement, it will. When you put together a title that says Buccaneers statement on the release of Antonio Brown, they could have said Buccaneers response to Antonio Brown's comments, because that's what this is. They could have said Buccaneers statement on the status of Antonio Brown, Buccaneers statement on the injury of Antonio Brown. They chose on the release of Antonio Brown purposefully and correctly because what's at issue legally is whether or not he can be released without being paid and whether or not that release was done in a legal fashion that will pass all potential grievances that are put forward by the Players Association against the team. Now, is the NFLPA going to go out on a ledge for Antonio Brown? They can't stand going out on a ledge for players who do not do right by the union or by teams or by themselves, but they do it anyway. And the reason they do it is that they've got to be seen by all of their members as representing all of their members, no matter what kind of hell you are putting them through, and no matter how little the likelihood is of success. It is so discouraging for a union to have to go all the way with a grievance when they know very well, and I've had the conversations with heads of the players' union where they're going forward with the grievance, and they know they don't have a shot, but they've got to fight it out. They've got to pretend they're doing it all for appearances. 
And I've been on the other side where we go into a grievance where we know we're going to have to give in to the player by giving him his service time back. Like when you send down a player who's injured trying to stop major league service time and then you know you're going to have to bring him back and put him on the major league disabled list and get him service time and pay him his major league rate. But we go through the grievance. But the union knows that we're going to lose. We know we're going to lose, but we do it. So Buccaneers statement on the release of Antonio Brown. All right. What are the important things that need to be said in a statement like that? One, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have terminated the contract of Antonio Brown effective immediately. Great. First sentence, go right to the conclusion. Go right to the repeat of the title. We are going to give you a statement on his release, and then we're going to tell you that his contract was terminated. Code for all the lawyers listening, we're not going to pay him what he's owed. Two, let's address, this is not what they wrote, but I'm telling you what you do when you're doing this statement. Let's address his allegations. What's the biggest allegation Antonio Brown had and that the NFL cannot stand for because of all the other litigation and because of all of the negative PR that comes from football-related injuries, whether it be concussions or anything else? You cannot have it on record that any NFL team has ever had an injured player knowingly play in a game. Second sentence. While Antonio did receive treatment on his ankle and was listed on the injury report the week leading up to last Sunday's game, he was cleared to play by our medical team prior to the start of the game. And they should have put a sentence there. And at no point during the game did he indicate to our medical personnel that he could not play. The reason I don't make that one sentence is you're making two points. Often you can make two points with the conjunction in the middle. By the way, happy anniversary, Schoolhouse Rock, conjunction, junction, what's your function? But when you're doing a statement, you want there to be short sentences without conjunctions because you want to make your points like bullet points. So the next line should have just said, yes, he received treatment and was on the injury report, but was cleared to play by our medical team, period. That's the rules of the game. The medical team has got to clear the player to play before the player can play. But then they go to the end. Antonio Brown never indicated to our medical personnel that he couldn't play. Where Antonio Brown in his statement said, I was yelling at everyone. I can't go, coach. I can't go, coach. They are making it very clear that didn't happen. Next. We have attempted multiple times throughout the week to schedule an evaluation by an outside orthopedic specialist, yet Antonio has not complied. Why does that need to be in the statement? Why do you care as a fan of the NFL that they have attempted multiple times throughout the week to schedule an evaluation for Antonio Brown? Why do you think? Because that is part of the protocol when you have an injured player and you are terminating a contract and you are not terminating because of injury because if you do that, you've got to pay. You are terminating, pay the guaranteed part of the contract. You are terminating because he violated a provision in his contract. Players have a duty, a contractual obligation to, when injured, seek and appear at the medical treatment that you have prescribed to the player as the team and as the medical team. Maintaining the health and wellness of our players is of the utmost importance to our organization. 
That's how the statement ends. What does that have to do with Antonio Brown's statement? Or the painkillers they injected him with? Nothing. The last sentence is the boilerplate sentence that you put in any press release regarding injuries, regarding sexual harassment, regarding workplace discrimination. You see it in every statement. It always ends with, we care the most about workplace safety and conduct. It's like uh, Gary Bettman and all the hockey guys after the guy had been molested by the Blackhawks guy. And the statements all, all ended with, we are here to make sure that hockey players feel safe all the time. All right, I guess you're here starting now. Maintaining the health and wellness of our players is of the utmost importance to organization. Horse hockey. Those last sentences of those statements are always, always FOS. Full of S-H-I-T. I know that teams do not have as the utmost importance maintaining the health and wellness of the players. That was never a factor. I'll admit it. Here's a better last sentence if we were in a truth-telling scenario where we put serum into the arms of the PR and the lawyers. Maintaining the ability to perform on the field with reckless disregard toward any future implications or quality of life is of the utmost importance to our organization. That's the rebuttal by the Bucks. This is not over. Antonio Brown wants his money. And there's, there's a schmear campaign. Is it a schmear campaign? I think a schmear is what I put on a bagel after the show. It's a, thank you, Coca. Wow, it's Friday. Friday. I can't wait to listen to The Cure Friday. I'm in love. It's a smear campaign by the Buccaneers. They're doing it. An article got released yesterday that Antonio Brown broke COVID protocols by having that toilet-licking woman come to his hotel for a night of sex. Him being the only player who's ever had sex with someone who he's not married to, engaged to, or dating the night before a game. Hmm. Never happened before. It's unheard of. Players having women in their hotels the night before games. (gasps) Don't be ridiculous. The number of do not disturb signs on the doors of players in their hotel rooms on the road is about a hundo percent. Hundo. That could have been the word of the day. All right, we got some people in Denver who are concerned. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's Coca doing his producing magic. Reminding you of the movie Half-Baked. For those of you new to Nothing Personal, and we just got the December numbers. There's plenty of new people. Thank you. Tell all your friends that you found Nothing Personal. So You Want to Talk to Samson comes from a movie called Half-Baked. Half-Baked is a movie. If you haven't seen it, see it right now. Well, in about 40 minutes. Fewer than that. About 32 minutes. And see it when you are 68, 69th baked. And if that's not your thing, still watch it because you're going to like it. And there's a character in there named Samson. People want to talk to him. So get in my Twitter at David P. Samson, and you can talk to me. Hello. Hello. My Broncos are a mess. The mayor wants a sale, saying there are crucial decisions to be made. Does a politician have any sway in whether a team gets sold? Thank you. You're welcome. To all my friends... Out in Denver, by the way, it looks like Denver in New York right now. 
middle of a blizzard. Not like a blizzard like in 1978, but a blizzard nonetheless. Maybe five to seven inches, Coca. Is your car going to get buried? Coca has to hurry up and end this show. We were thinking about recording a mailbag episode for next week, but I think Coca has to go shovel his car out because he's worried it's going to get plowed in. Good luck with that, Coca. In any case, let me tell you what's going on in Denver. The Denver Broncos are owned by the estate of Pat Bolin. Pat Bolin is a man who bought the team in the 1980s and then died. Yikes. There is now an argument going on and a lawsuit going on that is fascinating. The lawsuit has to do with something called a right of first refusal. A right of first refusal is something that all companies like to put in contracts with individuals, with entities. A right of first refusal means that I may not own you, but when you sell, You've got to come to me at the very end and say, I've got an offer of a billion dollars. Do you want to pay me a billion dollars? Because if you do, I've got to sell my asset to you. I've got a right of first refusal. Meaning I can take the offer and then say, no, thank you. And then you go on your way and sell it to who you negotiated with. Or I can take the deal that you have negotiated and be the owner. Here's the two sides of a right of first refusal, positive and negative. The negative is that it has a quashing impact on the value of the underlying asset because when you're negotiating with somebody, they're in the back of their mind saying, man, this is really not great because I'm going to spend all the money on lawyers and bankers. I'm going to negotiate to buy the Broncos for $2.7 billion and then they're going to sell it to the person who has the right of first refusal. And I will have spent all this time, all this money. I can't negotiate a breakup fee, which is a fee that you get when you negotiate a deal, but the deal doesn't finish and you get paid like your expenses and maybe some amount of money above that. It's called the breakup fee. And you say to yourself, why would I bother? And you know what? If I'm just going to get outbid or or have the bid tied, I'm just going to bid 10% under what I think the asset's worth. So when you own an asset that has a right of first refusal attached to it, you can be concerned that the value may not be fully realized. The disadvantage of a right of first refusal to the person who holds it is that 99 out of 100 times, a right of first refusal is that you negotiate a fully baked deal with someone. You take that fully baked deal and every provision contained in all of the contracts and you show it to the person who holds the right of first refusal and say, you can fill your name in here if you want, but that's it. This is the exact deal. So when you hold a right of first refusal, you actually don't have the ability to negotiate provisions. You have to take the provisions that have been negotiated with another party. And often you've got desires and needs and goals that are not equal or not similar to what another party has, but you are then forced to sign a contract that you may not want to. Therefore, making your right of first refusal not as valuable. So this right of first refusal, the Denver Broncos are dealing with because Pat Bowen, as part of the acquisition of the team, he gave a right of first refusal to an individual who then sold that right of first refusal to another individual, which is totally legal. 
That individual has a company called ROFR LLC, right of first refusal. And they are right now being sued by the Broncos for a predetermination by the court that that right of first refusal is no longer binding, no longer active, no longer dispositive because then they get to go out and sell the team without the encumbrance of a right of first refusal. Meanwhile, the guy who has the right of first, first refusal is saying, listen, I, I've had it since the 80s. I still have it. And there's nothing you can do about it. You want to sell your team? Great, by all means. Now, I'm willing to sell you my right of first refusal back and I'll rip it up, but I'm going to want a couple hundred million bucks just for fun, just to say that I was here just to get me to go away. Or I really want to own the team, so I'm not going to get rid of my right of first refusal. You can negotiate directly with me or go ahead and negotiate with someone else, and then I'm just going to take over anyway. The NFL has a problem with this right of first refusal because the NFL, like all other sports, wants to control exactly who the owners are, even when bankruptcies are involved, like they were with the uh, Orioles in 1993, like they were with the Dodgers the Texas Rangers, when there's lawsuits, when there's bankruptcy, anytime other people get involved in sales of franchises, it is very upsetting to commissioners and owners because they want the right and they've got the right within their league to vote, to approve a new owner, but they don't want any court of law to ever usurp that right. So the NFL would like this right of first refusal to go away as well. So the Broncos have got to deal with this. The mayor of Denver came out recently and said, you know, we got to get this team sold. There are very crucial decisions that need to be made. And people in Denver started thinking, wait a minute, why can't the mayor just step in and, and force a sale? Listen to me now and hear me later. There is no politician in the land, no matter how much other business an owner has in that community, no matter how dependent the owner is on that politician to be helpful in his or her, their other businesses, those politicians have no power to ever force a sale. Believe me, if the Miami politicians had the power to force a sale, they would have a long, long time ago. And what are the crucial decisions that the mayor's talking about? A coach and a GM, and players, O-M-G. If I'm a resident of Denver, I would like him to focus on the homeless issue. I would like him to focus on employment. I would like him to focus on infrastructure. Plowing wouldn't be bad. I really would prefer him not to focus on who the coach and GM are of the Denver Broncos. And that's what you consider to be crucial decisions? I guess so, because maybe he has a futures bet on the Broncos to win the Super Bowl next year. Other than that, I cannot tell you at all what his reason would be at all for taking a position on this. Rumors are going around that Manning is Peyton Manning could be part of an ownership group. No, it's not going to happen. 
Peyton Manning doesn't have that kind of money. Manning cast doesn't pay that. Maybe Manning could do Manning cast and he could do the baseball Manning cast that's going to be called the Rodriguez cast. Did you see that yesterday, Coca? Alex Rodriguez is going to be named by ESPN to do a Manning cast type thing during the Sunday night games on an alternate channel. That is a real channel flipper. The thought of listening to A-Rod nonstop for an entire game. Oh, my God. I cannot even imagine. (sighs) All right. When we come back, I watched a very fascinating movie the other day that is getting a lot of awards attention that was written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, but a great actress in her own right, now a writer and a director. She was in Stranger Than Fiction. She's been in a bunch of movies. It's called The Lost Daughter. And I'm giving you an update that the majority of outlets will not give you, but we're going to on Nothing Personal. We'll be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. You found me on a Friday, although there's only a one in seven chance that you found me on a Friday because people are listening to episodes, catching up. I appreciate it. We come to you every day, 45 minutes. Tell your friends about us. Rate, review, follow. Thanks for getting through the gauntlet of drops and commercials that CBS puts in there. But CBS has got to pay their executives in the news division somehow, don't they? So we watch a movie every day. And uh, I watched The Lost Daughter. The Lost Daughter is based on a book, and Maggie Gyllenhaal adopted a screenplay. She's nominated for that adoption, adaptation. Adoption? Adaptation? Adaptation is the movie with Nicolas Cage and Meryl Streep. Coca, are you there? You have been a very little assistance. To adopt, you adapt a screenplay. So the adaption of a screenplay. Oh, by the way, hello. That's the movie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. (laughs) Can we start that again? Ready? Two, six, nine. Watch a movie every day. The movie was The Lost Daughter. That is adapted by Maggie Gyllenhaal from a book of the same name. And it is starring Dakota Johnson, Olivia Coleman, and as a young Olivia Coleman, an actress named Jessie Buckley. It is a movie about a woman who goes to a resort in order to write. She's a writer. And the movie is told both in the present and past tense with flashbacks to her life as a mother the choices that she made as a parent, choosing work over parenting. This movie hit home in a very significant way. 
Dakota Johnson plays a current day young woman with a child who Olivia Coleman. <clears throat> wow, I definitely just cleared my throat, Coco, without hitting the button. I did it the other way. So we may want to get rid of that. That was funny. I, I made it louder instead of softer. I could have gone like this, but instead I hit the different button, which made it louder. Okay. 10, 9, 69. Olivia Coleman plays the older woman, and Dakota Johnson is not related but is at the same resort, who reminds Olivia Coleman of herself as a younger woman. And the movie is all about choices that we make as parents. Parenting is hard. Being a good parent is even harder. Being a present parent may be the hardest. And when you choose work over parenting, or you choose work over home, or you choose to make money, and you've heard me talk about this before, does that make it wrong? Is it better than people who stay at home or people who are nine to five? Is it worse? Is it different? I've decided as the years have passed that I'm not going to judge my decisions, and I'm not going to I'm not gonna torture myself over the decisions I made. I don't regret them, but I see the ramifications of them. This movie goes through the ramifications of those decisions, the ramifications of those decisions on children and the ramifications on the mother herself. And the question is, when mothers make a decision to go to work instead of parenting, why are they looked at in a different light than when fathers go away and choose work over family? Mothers seem to be judged in a much harsher light. I never understood it. Part of gender equality, in my opinion, means that people should be judged the same. Either judge me more harshly or judge women less harshly. But we have to be equal. I think you should watch the movie because it's been nominated. Olivia Coleman's performance is outstanding. Dakota Johnson is mesmerizing. Jesse Buckley is perfect at getting you an understanding of what Olivia Coleman was like as a young mother. It is not a funny movie. It is a deliberate movie. It's a serious movie, and I would check it out. It's called The Lost Daughter. Maggie Gyllenhaal, you are a writer and a director extraordinaire. MLB lockout update time for Friday, January 7th, 2021. Thank you. That's the MLB lockout. Now we have an update. I've told you this many times that it bothers me when the accusation is on the first page and the apology is on the 40th page. That's an expression for when you accuse someone of doing something and it is so outrageous that, everyone, that people are proven guilty before having had a chance to say they're innocent. It's a top story, lead story. Everyone talks about it. It is on the airwaves. Every gas bag on every channel wants to take the first opportunity they can. I talked about it when this happened. But then... When a legal decision has been made, a court has made a ruling, eh, it's a note. I don't need to revisit it. Well, you know from wait to sees that I do revisit everything. This was not a wait to see, but it was a topic. The former GM of the New York Metropolitans is a man named Zach Scott. 
Zach Scott became the GM when his boss, Jared Porter, was fired for sending lascivious and brilliant texts to women. Zach Scott got promoted, became the GM, went to a party at Steve Cohn's house, and then five hours later was arrested for driving under the influence, driving while intoxicated, asleep at his car at four in the morning. I did a segment saying that that is outrageous, that Zach Scott is gone, and that's another example of the Mets having the inability to hire anybody, anybody good. Well, yesterday, a court in White Plains, New York, found Zach Scott innocent of all charges. He was acquitted of DWI. He was acquitted of, God rang it, dang it, there was something else he was acquitted of because the judge ruled that there was not enough proof because he did not submit to a breathalyzer test. By the way, don't drink and drive. But if you've had a cocktail and you drive and you think you're fine, you may not be fine. And if you're pulled over, it is your right to refuse a breathalyzer. That would be my advice to you. While I am a lawyer, this is not legal advice. But don't take the breathalyzer. So he didn't take the breathalyzer. He did on-field on sobriety tests. And the judge decided that there was not enough evidence from those on-field sobriety tests. And there was no blood alcohol content measured. Therefore, there was not enough evidence to convict him of DWI. Zach Scott came out with a comment saying, thank you, and this experience will make me a better husband, father, and executive. That's obviously what you say. I'm not sure why getting pulled over makes you a better husband or father. I'm not sure how it makes you a better baseball executive. I'm not sure how being acquitted makes you better or being convicted makes you worse. Being convicted gives you fewer opportunities, I would say. Being acquitted may enable you to get back in the game at a lower level. What you do inside your house, inside your bedroom, I'm not sure the impact there. All of that said, I wanted to reach out to Zach Scott through nothing personal and say, while I did cover this topic and rather harshly, you have been acquitted. Therefore, you were not driving while intoxicated. Therefore, you were not driving under the influence. As a consequentialist, I have no right to bury you based on that behavior because my tolerance for that behavior is zero. And as a matter of fact, before the show, Coke and I were talking about an actress named Amy Lohan, who is in a movie that he loves called Crybaby and how she was involved in a fatal DWI and spent some time in prison. And I told him that my point of view on fatal DWIs is I would be in favor of capital punishment for people who get behind the wheel so drunk that they kill somebody or even any over the legal limit and somebody dies as a result. So Zach Scott, no one got injured because that would have been a different crime. And it turns out, Zach, you were not drunk at all. Now. Next time, try not to fall asleep at a red light. So some of these things happen. There was that story that happened in Vegas with the Raiders player where there was a car fire and someone died and players get pulled over, executives get pulled over for DWI all the time. Totally common. But there was other news out of Vegas last week 
and I wanted to get to it. It's one of those subjects that is sort of evergreen, and I have not been able to get to it yet this week, but finally can today. I wanted to discuss what happened with Becky Hammond. To remind you of that story, Becky Hammond was the top assistant for the San Antonio Spurs under Greg Popovich. She is an accomplished coach and is a woman. She's the coach who we talked about who was getting interviewed for jobs who I told you wasn't going to get a job in the NBA because no owner, believe me, no owner wants to hire a woman and then fire a woman. No owner wants to be the first person to fire a woman coach. So Becky Hammond was going through these interviews, not getting jobs. People were getting upset. All of a sudden, Mark Davis, the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders and the owner of the Las Vegas Aces, the WNBA team, realizing that he needed something good to happen, realizing that his Raiders have had enough bad press for five different teams, said, I've got a great idea here. I'm going to hire Becky Hammond. I'm going to offer her so much money to be the coach and GM of the Las Vegas Aces that she will have no choice but to say yes. He makes her the offer. She thinks about it. And the way she thought about it was quite fascinating. She recognized that she was the number one prospect to be an NBA coach as a woman. Recognized that she wasn't being hired too quickly. And said to herself, if I leave the NBA and join the WNBA, there could be women out there who will think that I did this because I couldn't become a head coach in the NBA. And therefore, there are women who will not try to be head coaches in the NBA. And then she said, but I can be a head coach. I can be the number one. I can prove to these NBA owners, most of whom own WNBA and NBA teams, I can prove to them that I can be in the number one chair. I'll be at the WNBA, but I can prove it enough that I can then be promoted to be a head coach in the NBA. Or there are women who will see what I'm capable of doing and will continue their quest to be a head coach in the NBA. Having this argument in your mind is a fascinating argument to have because you've got the weight of history on your shoulders and the desire to succeed and be compensated in your head. I am absolutely in favor of what Becky Hammond did. She owes nothing to all of the upcoming women who wanna be head coaches in the NBA. She owes everything to herself and to her family to maximize the earnings that she can during the course of her career, which when you are a coach, more times than not, is gonna be mighty short. And if you wanna take your shot, Alexander Hamilton, and you want that shot to be in the WNBA because you have an owner who is so desperate for PR that he's gonna pay you an amount of money that you know you are not gonna get paid in the NBA because the NBA owners would say, you're being paid in history. You're being paid as an obituary line that you were the first head coach in NBA history as a woman. That will make up for annual compensation. 
The decision that she made is hers to make. And any criticism that anyone is putting upon her is misguided, misplaced, and downright wrong. I tweeted at the time that NBA owners were thrilled that she got hired by the Las Vegas Aces. Of course, statements then came out from Adam Silver and others in the NBA, how qualified she would be and is to be an NBA coach. Statements that you would certainly expect a league to make because in this day and age, the fear that the NBA had when Becky Hammond took that job, the fear that they had is people would say, look, you cry for racial equality and gender equality, but when it comes down to it, the people in hiring positions, owners, GMs, they're not about that equality. They're about recycling and bringing in man after man after man, player after player, coach with experience after coach with experience. When was the opportunity going to be given? And the NBA does not want that to be the narrative so instead, they're going to convince you that being the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces is the equivalent of being the head coach in the NBA. And you and I both know that is pure, unadulterated, say it with me, horse hockey. The Las Vegas Aces, on their best day, do not carry the weight of the worst team in the NBA. Hard stop. But Becky Hammond made a decision that I greatly respect and I absolutely wish her well in her future endeavors as coach and GM of the Las Vegas Aces. Nothing personal pick of the day. I'm upset. I acknowledge it. Coco, we have to figure this out. There are games going on in the NBA and when I do the pick of the day, I do it the night before a show. I look at the line the morning we record, make an adjustment. Then I give a pick. And then stuff happens. Last night, we had the Warriors minus six and a half over the Pelicans. And then boom, bang, bang. Yeah, Steph Curry and Draymond Green aren't playing. Well, that's not fair. But Coca says to me, well, when you tell people to place a bet for your pick of the day, they place it at that moment, and the line is what the line is. I would like a ruling Coca that when we do picks of the day, the line that we use is the off, is the, the what's it called, Coca? The going off line? The line that is there right when the game starts. I believe that is the only fair way. Are you willing to do that? Coca is not. He's yelling at me right now. He's saying, go tell your online legal bookie that starts in, in New York this weekend that you want a different line than when you called it in. Cry, cry, cry. You know what, Coca? I understand what you're saying. I'm not pulling the I'm in charge card because we are a collaboration. Therefore, I will agree to live to fight another day and tell you that I'm two and one on the year. Although the Warriors were giving one and a half when the game went off and they lost the game, so I would have lost either way. <laughs> That's not a vine I'm going to climb, Matthew Coca, CBS. We're two and one. I'm still angry about it. All right, we got three picks. 
We got an NBA pick Friday. We've got NFL Saturday, Sunday for week 18. You ready? Dallas plays the Eagles. Dallas lost last week. Dallas actually needs to win this game. Now, they're in the playoffs, so you may think that when a team is in the playoffs, I said this about, uh, was that on the air, Coca, when we talked about the Chargers and the Raiders and how if there's a way that both teams can get in, you play for the tie, or if there's a team who's already in, you don't play anybody, you treat it like a preseason game. I think we did it on the air. But when you have a chance to increase a seed, you absolutely play to win that game. Or there's another scenario. There is something called momentum going into the playoffs. I don't want to be, in baseball as an example, I, don't, I never would want to be on a 10-game winning streak heading into a playoff series because it's unlikely you're going to win 14 in a row or 14 out of 17. That's really hard if it's a 4-7 series. Football, if you've won 10 games in a row, I agree that the odds are you're not going to sweep all the way to the Super Bowl. You know how hard that is. The Patriots tried and lost to the Giants at the end, trying to be undefeated. But when you've lost a game and the feeling of loss is there from a week before, and you've got a regular season game against a division rival, and there's an opportunity to increase your playoff positioning, then you want to win the game. On the other hand, the Eagles are in the playoffs and have nothing to play for. There must be a reason the Cowboys are only favored by five on Saturday. I just haven't figured out what it is. So if we say the line is five, does that mean we book it at five? Dallas, minus five over Eagles on Saturday. But tonight I'm going to watch a game with the Bucks and the Nets. The Bucks are getting five points from the Kyrie Irvingless Nets in Brooklyn. The reason why I'm taking the Bucks, and I don't know whether Giannis is playing or Middleton or Da Vincenzo or Lopez or any of the other, Drew Holiday, any of the other players. I have no idea. All I know is what is staggering to me is that people are underestimating the disruption in chemistry that is caused when one of your starters is only playing road games. No matter how good Durant and Harden are, they are impacted and will be impacted. And the worst thing that could happen to the Nets after they had him for the game in Indiana for his season debut, which they won by eight, only pushing, is to have an immediate next game at home against the defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks plus five. All right, what about Sunday? This is a sucker bet. We're making a mistake, but we're doing it. The Bills are giving 16 points to the Jets. The Bills need to win this game to win the division. They've had such an up-and-down season. They want to win the division. Believe me, everyone in the AFC East does not want the Patriots to win the division. For the Bills to win the division, all they have to do is win. And they're playing a team who's so bad that it seems highly unlikely that they're going to even score. When the Bills played the Jets earlier in the season, they won 45-17. to 17. The Jets are coming off that horrific loss to the Antonio Brownless uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that horrible fourth and two quarterback sneak. The offensive coordinator had to come out yesterday again and take full responsibility for that play call. Here's how that works. He's going to be let go instead of the coach because someone 
Someone has to be let go over that after a season like the Jets are having yet again. By the way, an extra wait to see. We haven't done a wait to see. This is the wait to see. The Jets offensive coordinator will not be back with the team next year. There has to be an example set when there is a mistake made the way that was made last week. So the Jets are going into this game just waiting for summer to start. They're ready. They're done. Bills minus 16 versus Jets. Those are the picks. Bucks plus five. Cowboys minus five. Bills minus 16. That's another week. And I appreciate your time every single day. We'll see you Monday. It's just business. This is nothing personal.